Hot off the press from Maybelline New York, it's new Lifter Plump, an intense plumping lip gloss formulated with chili pepper to deliver a heated sensation for an instant plumping effect that lasts. From eight sizzling shades like Blush Blaze, Red Flag, Hot Honey, Cocoa Zing, and more, an extra-large wand applicator transforms lips in one swipe. Learn more at Maybelline.com. For a limited time, get 10% off your Lifter Plump purchase on Amazon with code 10PLUMP. In order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers. And we want to make sure those advertisers are ones you'll actually want to hear about. But we need to learn a little more about you to make that possible. So go to podsurvey.com slash artofman and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That way, we can bring on advertisers you won't want to skip. Once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash artofman. A-R-T-O-F-M-A-N, podsurvey.com slash artofman. Thanks for your help. Hello, Brett here. Before we get to today's show, got a quick favor to ask of you. If you've been enjoying the Art of Manliness podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you take one minute to give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. It helps us out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you so much. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member you would think would get something out of it. Word of mouth is the primary way the Art of Manliness grows and spreads. So please share. Text a friend, send an email, do whatever, however you communicate. Tell them to check out a particular episode if you think they'd get something out of it. Thank you for continued support. And now on to the show. This episode of the Art of Manliness podcast is brought to you by Revtown Denim. We wear jeans everywhere still. They're always a little stiff, constricting in the wrong places, and probably the first thing you take off when you get home. But now there's a denim startup that's changing that. Revtown is home to premium jeans at a revolutionary price. It just got the right amount of four-way stretch. These jeans let you sit, squat, bend over, whatever. You can do barbell squats in these things. They're super comfortable, but they also look great. My favorite is their Decade Denim, the Dark Wash dark pair of jeans looks fantastic and they're sold directly to you at revtownusa.com slash aom for half the price of designer jeans so go check them out leave me give you free shipping and free returns so you got nothing to lose go to revtownusa.com slash aom one more time revtownusa.com slash aom Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. They say that manners make the man, but how do you display good manners without coming off as awkward in a way that elevates life both for yourself and for others? Today on the show, I bring back writer David Coggins to discuss etiquette and manners in the modern age. I had David on the show a year ago to discuss his book, Men in Style. He's out with a new book called Men in Manners. Today on the show, David shares how style and manners are connected and why good manners are like good poetry. He then discusses the best etiquette practice concerning tipping, greetings, attending parties and texting and we end our conversation highlighting the grace and power of handwritten notes after the show's over check out the show notes at aom.is slash men and manners and david joins me now via clearcast.io all right David Coggins, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Brett. Great to be here. So we had you on, I think, last year about your book, Men in Style, where you kind of give your 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 take on what a style, you know, a stylish man should be doing. But you also interview a lot of your friends and and tastemakers about their take on style. You got a new book out, Men and Manners, this time. 
I'm curious. What was interesting about the book? It's it's about etiquette. It's about manners. But you also tie it into like the Men in Style book. How are how are style and manners connected to each other? You think? Well, that's a good question. I think they both say something about well, the man how how you dress says a lot about you, and how you conduct yourself in public says a lot about you. I think it says about how you think you fit into the world. I think clothes are probably more superficial, but there's definitely meaning there. And manners are really how we interact with strangers and people we know alike. And so having thought a lot about clothes, not not really but specifics about the clothes, but what they tell us about ourselves, how our fathers dress, that was a big theme in the last book, what we learned from our fathers. I think that sort of holds over into the new book, the manners we learn from from our dad, kind of the traditions that are worth carrying forward and also how we have to evolve because manners are not the same as they were certainly not a hundred years ago or 50 years ago, or even when we were kids. Right. Yeah. Because we have, you know, cell phones now, right. That didn't exist. And technology is, is a huge d- issue. I mean, everybody knows it. I think having a computer with us at all times, what we, you know, an iPhone changes the way we interact with people and our kind of our sense of self-awareness. I think too often it maybe makes us feel more isolated or makes us feel like we're kind of at the center of our world walking around in it with our earphones we don't we don't look up and i think that's sort of a metaphor for a lot of a lot of how we are in the public sphere yeah well we'll get back into your take on technology and etiquette but what i thought was an interesting point we hit on it in the last our last conversation but you made the case that the way you dress isn't just for you but it's also for other people and like it, it's a way to show that you care about them so in a way, you know, how you dressing well is a way to show it's 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 an, it's a it's it's a form of etiquette in a way. Absolutely. In in the simplest sense, it shows a sense of occasion. That's why people dress up to go to church, to parties, to work, to interviews, to court, right? On a first date, all those things are hugely consequential to varying degrees and how you dress for them shows a lot about who you think you are, but also your respect for the people around you. And I think somehow we've gone into this zone where it's all about being comfortable, right? And as long as I'm comfortable, I'm fine. And that's why you have people in tracksuits everywhere you go, especially on airplanes. Right. But that's also why maybe you look to try to be comfortable in something that's a little more elegant. And that's nice too, you know? And I think we can challenge ourselves to ask a little more about what makes the level of comfort we can have and how we dress. Yeah, I mean, yeah, my my father-in-law... He, he always talks about that. Back in the day, when you flew on an airplane, like you had to get dressed up. Like you wore a jacket at least and a pair of slacks. But now you're wearing yoga pants and you know shorts and sandals. When I see a man wearing a suit or a sport coat on an airplane, I feel I feel a little elevated in a way, not to get carried away. But it's nice. It's nice to see someone making an effort. I think that makes us feel like we can make an effort too. And and. Just on top of all that, if you don't feel the need to do it for those reasons, I read that Delta and some other airlines, there's a small chance that they'll upgrade you, people who are well-dressed and sort of dignified and well-mannered. So if you need any more (laughs) reason to do it than that, I don't know what it could be than getting a better seat on the plane. Right. Yeah. Traveling is already, like flying an airplane is already miserable. (laughs) Maybe one thing we can do is just, you know, everyone kind of dress up a little bit so it feels a little bit more dignified because it already is like an undignified experience. Well, traveling, and there's a whole chapter in the book on that because I think it's where we deal with the most people, the most strangers, and there are these rules and some of them seem arbitrary. Some of them are sort of longstanding and it kind of descends into a free-for-all. 
And I've been, as someone who travels a fair amount, I've been trying to kind of monitor myself and see what I could do to behave a little better and not, I, I think somehow it seems like everyone's got to rush onto the plane and get the last overhead bin or get the last outlet in the lounge. And, and I was tr- trying to figure out ways to just avoid putting myself in that position. And hopefully, you know, we're all going to get on the plane for the most part and five extra seconds. I think if we all took kind of five extra seconds, we would be in a better spot. So I want to get your take on those because we had podcasts, people on the podcast talking about this when, when it comes to traveling. What's your take? And it's controversial, all right? What's your take on wheelie luggage? So it's funny you ask that. I'm, I'm one of the last people who is not for roller bags. I think I really believe in packing light. I think you, you, you need way less than you think you need. I actually think you learn more about how to dress well if you bring a limited collection of clothes. I think you'll always wish you pack less and you look just more dignified. You can move more quickly. There's a time in every trip where you wish you just had a light bag and not a roller bag, whether you're going over cobblestones in a European street or when you have to go further from the taxi to the airplane. So I, I personally am not for them. I realize that puts me like in the hopeless minority, but I even if you carry a wheelie bag, I definitely say bring way, way less than you think and you know, find some shirts that you can wash yourself and don't get wrinkled. And be, I, love a, I love a man, a well-dressed man who does his own laundry while he travels. I think that's a very elegant solution. Yeah, Walker Lamond, he wrote Rules for My Unborn Son. That was one of his rules, no, no wheelie luggage. <laughs> uh, co- cosign, strong cosign on that, but you know, I, think I've, I think I've lost that one. Yeah, you've, we've lost. So um, you know, <laughs> talking about, you know, you can be, it's possible to be comfortable by, while looking good. I mean, what, what are some style staples you recommend that every guy should have that you can throw on? It's still, it feels like you're wearing a sweatsuit, but you, you look good. That's that's sort of the grail, isn't it? I mean, I think I always tell people an unstructured blue blazer is just a really, really the first thing to invest in. I think partly because it's so versatile, you can wear it with a shirt and tie to a job interview or an event, and you can wear it with jeans. So I think the un, and it and an unstructured one isn't gonna if it's in kind of a I guess you'd say a three season wool, not to get too technical, isn't gonna wrinkle as much. I'm really against things that wrinkle when I travel, and that helps, I think. So, like I mentioned before, an Oxford shirt is really good. You can literally wash it yourself and let it dry. I, I was just in Italy and doing that, and I felt a little bit like a, a Neapolitan kind of housewife from the 1920s or something. I loved it hanging laundry outside my hotel window on the shutters. I, I also think trousers that, you know, like a, a sort of, chino, I guess you'd say, something that maybe it is even the matching color is the sport coat. So then you've, you've got something that you can wear casually and comfortably and slip on shoes are really, really a good way to go. Some sort of loafer, something like that. You know, you'll find the thing that makes sense for you. I think you just start there and then it evolves as you evolve. I think so many people when they're young, they think they've got to get all the answers all at once. That's a hard thing for to do for any of us. That's why you're Taste in music changes, your taste in literature and film changes, and how you dress and changes as well. So you don't need to have it all figured out. But if you make a good faith effort, I think that's a really good start. All right. So dressing well is one way we can show etiquette. 
to the to others. I love this. You have this section where you talk about how manners are like poetry, which I thought was interesting because I never heard it manners spoken like the way. How are manners like poetry? Well, that's an interesting question. I asked a handful of people to contribute to the book, people who are experts in given topics. So there's a bartender, there's a man who owns a few restaurants, there's someone who makes stationery. And I asked a poet, a man named Dobby Gibson, who's from St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm from St. Paul as well. And, and he's the one who said manners were like poetry. And I loved that idea. And he says, he says that in some way that we find them lacking in our lives far too often, both manners and poetry, but then they invariably come back when you least expect it or when you're not expecting them, meaning you find poetry in everyday life or you need manners, you're called upon to do the right thing and that they will always be with us even when we can't see them. So I, I loved that idea. And so that had a sort of prominent part in the book. And I also say just, we don't know a lot of poets. I think the people who know the most poets are poets probably. And so it's nice to hear from someone. He's a successful person and a professor and a, and a really nice man. And, and his section in the book was really nice. And I, I thought that was, was nice to think about it because I don't think manners are just transactional. I think it's about being the best version of yourself. I think that's really a theme throughout the book. Another way, after I read that and I was thinking about it, another way I think manners are like poetry, like there, there are some really hokey poems, right? But there's also like really hokey, like man, like you can be really hokey with your manners and where it comes off like stilted and awkward. And like the best poems are the, are the best poems are the ones that are just like, it's super subtle. Then it just, it wallops you, right? Without even knowing you're being walloped. I feel like that's with manners too. There's like some people who they're, it's very awkward when they're trying to be polite, but there's some people who just, they just, it comes naturally and you just feel good after interacting with them. And you can't really pinpoint why that is. That's so true. I, I, I love, I think something about poetry is that it, it starts in a very personal way, but it, it also is universal as well. That's how we connect to it, you know, like a pop song or something. And there's something to be said about people who put you at ease, and you can't always put your finger on how they do that. And that's something I'm trying to improve on as I, as I get older and interact with more people. How do, we, how do we make someone feel comfortable? And we do that in a thousand different ways, eye contact, tone of voice, smiling. And, you know, a lot of things we were taught and maybe forgot, or our lives are moving so fast, or whatever it is that we think they don't matter. And then when you're around someone who's good at that, it's just such a wonderful thing. And, and you, it kind of makes you want to be a little bit better too at that. And, and, and that's sort of where the idea of being a gentleman is in the first place, a gentleness, a kindness, and a way of putting other people at ease. And, and when you can do that, that that's, that's a pretty good place to be. All right, so let's get into specifics, because this is the fun stuff. Everyone loves to talk about because everyone has their take on what what's proper etiquette in certain situations. Tipping this is a, a uniquely American phenomenon, but there's a lot of debate about what's a proper proper tipping etiquette. So, what's your take on proper tipping etiquette? Like, should you tip everybody? <laughs> should you be generous? Like, is it ten percent, twenty percent? What's your what 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 is your take? Tipping is is huge. It's the first chapter in the book for that reason. I think it it drives us crazy because we have to we have to make mental calculations. It's a social interaction. Sometimes I honestly think one reason that Uber and certain online apps are popular is because it takes service out of it. You can just get out of the car and you don't have to do that. I think it's important to be a good tipper. I think that's the first thing. I think you want to be a man who tips well, not just because you'll get better service, though I think you will, but because of what it means and how you view the way you interact with people every day. And so 
you don't want to be the person who's trying to give a dollar less. You want to be the person who gives a dollar more. And if everyone gave a dollar more to the waitress or the bartender, then he or she's had a good night. And you want to be that person. So if you start with that idea, that's that's the best place to do it. Okay, then then you can get into rules. And I think, you know, when I was younger, you gave someone a dollar a drink, and now that seems wrong. So you give them, you know, I start with a few dollars a drink, if I'm at a bar, maybe more, and then I tip a dollar or so after that. And at the end of the evening, I give them a little more above that, you know, it depends what type of place it is. I think if I ever sit down to a restaurant, here's a little rule, even if it's a diner, anytime I'm seated at a table, I will always tip at least $5, even if the bill was, you know, let's say 10 bucks. I just think of $5 is a nice thing. And I also take into account if, let's say, I'm on one of my not drinking phases and I'm just having a mineral water at a bar, I'll tip more than just 20% because that drink is cheap and I'm taking up real estate. If you're, if you're, if you've logged a lot of time at a bar or restaurant, I think you kind of want to tip for the, space that you're occupying. You just want to do the right thing. I think it's, you generally, I mean, people have all these rules and rules are a good place to start. If you want to ask me, do I tip 20% at a restaurant? I do. If I have really expensive wine, then I probably tip a little bit less than that because I don't think you need to tip 20% on bottles of wine that are really expensive. And I think if you're at a hotel, you know, do you want to be a person who's welcome back? I mean, everyone is going to t- know about your habits at a restaurant you go to a lot or a hotel. So when I leave a hotel, I leave a little bit of money for the maid. If the concierge has helped me a lot, I leave an envelope for him. I always think it's better to leave money in an envelope. At the end of, a, of the year, if there's a place that you do a lot of business with, if you have a barber, a dry cleaner, anyone you, you know, somebody, if you have a doorman in your building, you know, put some money in an envelope and give it to them. It's it's nice thing to do. And and I think one of the themes of the book is when you have arrived at the age where it's time to do these more mature things. And I think, you know, for a long time, that's the sort of thing your dad did while you're a younger guy. But then now it's it's your turn. It's our turn to make the more generous overture to the people in our lives. That even means giving money to a charity. You know, those seems like the sort of thing your grandparents did. And now as we get older, it's the sort of thing we should be doing too. What about uh, tipping baristas or people who have tip jars? This is really tough because I think if the person is engaging with you, I don't think every tip jar needs to be filled. I think that's, that's important too. And if you go into a place and someone's sullen and you've already paid a lot for some sort of juice that, you know, way more than you should have, then you don't need to be giving money on top of that. I think if it's a place you go a lot, it's a nice thing to do. And I think they, they recognize it. If, if you have a nice interaction, it's positive and you say thank you. And if you don't, maybe you, maybe you take a pass or just give some loose change. But that, that's the toughest one of all because you're so close to the person and there's usually a line behind you. Right. And they're looking at you. They, they, I just gave uh, you change. Absolutely. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think that's the tough, tough one. If you, if you feel some symp- some sympathy and some frequency to this place, I think it's usually a good idea. But, you know, not everything deserves a tip. So uh, the other thing I, I find awkward sometimes, I've gotten better about it, though, is is handing off a tip directly to somebody. Because, like, leaving a tip for a waiter is easy. You just leave it there sure. and you don't have – but, like, when you're like, hey, thank you, and you, like, hand the person money – for some reason, it just feels really awkward, right? Or it can feel awkward. So like, wh- how, do you, how do you do that where you like, you know, you don't want to be sleazy about it where you like, you know, shake their hand and like you pass the money without anyone noticing. And like, well, how do you, how do you, what's your take on handing off a tip like gracefully? 
<laughs> I mean, it's, it's such a classic situation. I mean, it, I think somehow it's from sort of bad cop TV shows where they're sticking $20 right. in the, you know, the chest pocket of someone and it just couldn't be worse. I think you just say, thank you. We had a great time. Or if, you know, if I often at a, you know, I get my beard trim and I usually give the man $5. So, so I just say, thanks a lot. And I hand it to him and I shake his hand. And I don't put it in my hand. I just hand him, you know, a folded up bill and, and try to, it's an inherently awkward situation. I, if it's a valet, I just say, thanks a lot. Look at him and hand the money over to him. And, you know, they, they, they'll take it. Right, right. <laughs> that, that's part of it. And if you, you know, you just want to put this awkward five seconds in the middle of a friendly 45 seconds. It's, that's never going to go away. You just get used to it. You yeah. know? I think in general, all these things we do in our lives are awkward at some point and just doing them more puts us more at ease. And the more at ease we are, that's going to put who we're dealing with more at ease. You know, it's just like when you dine out with a, you know, with a, at a fancy restaurant and they hand you the menu and, you know, I, I think you want to be slow down and it will be fine. I think we often are so worried about doing the right thing or following these rules that we sort of lose our level of natural naturalism. And the more natural you are, probably the better off you'll be. But it takes work and experience and time to do that, you know? Yeah. So it's going to be awkward at first, but you'll get, yeah, that's how, that's been my experience. I've gotten better about it. Does it is so, It's completely normal now. I mean, I've tracked down people, you know, sometimes I'm obsessed if I'm in, if I'm in Europe, like having all this like correct change in bills for all the people you're going to have to hand them to you get to a hotel. It's like you're facing this gauntlet of different people who need different amounts <laughs> right. of money. And sometimes you run out of it or you haven't changed it yet, or you need yen or euros or whatever it is. And I'll just say, I'm sorry. Someone brings bags up to your room. You say, I don't have it now. I'll come down and give it to you. You're not lying. You just, you're going to see these people again for the duration of your stay and you track them down and you give them a, whatever, a couple of bucks or whatever it is. And those things happen. They're used to it. But if you follow through, they'll, they'll be happy. So that raises another point. Uh, you know, man should have cash on him. I, I'm a huge believer in cash. I mean, we've gotten to this point in it. When I wrote the last book, the issue was just all the things with credit cards, but now we've got Venmo and, and it's even more complicated in the last year. And I, you see these people at tables who they want to pay their bill four ways, and but somebody ordered wine and somebody got the steak. And you'd think it's like doing your taxes. It's so confusing. I think sometimes I, I just like to pay takes if you're with one or two other people maybe you take care of it and they'll get you back later and then maybe you leave a tip in cash but cash you're always comfortable when you have cash and you're ready for whatever is going to happen i really i really do believe that yeah it comes in handy whenever like we go downtown like i always make sure i have cash because like there's parking you got to pay there's people you got to tip it comes in handy right it and you don't want to be the one who can't, let's say you end up at a dive bar, they don't take cards and the first round is on your buddy, the next round's on you and you don't want to be sort of worried about it or not ready to do whatever you need to do or you get involved in a pool game with some some other people and you want, who you got to be, if you have cash, you're ready for for what the evening might bring. Yeah, I've, I've recently invested in a money club. That was my, my recent acquisition. It's been great. Yeah. I love it. All right, so let's talk uh, about parties. Yes. And what... So we're not talking about just like a hangout party. Right. But I mean, maybe some of this stuff can apply. But we're talking like someone sends you an invite. What's the etiquette there? On arriving, should you bring a gift? How you know, RSVP? Like people don't RSVP anymore. But I think I would say you would say argue that no, you should RSVP. Well, I think you take a, a hint from 
the formality of the invitation. If the invitation is sent in the mail and it's for a wedding or something, then they probably have a card or some sort of RSVP. If the invitation is emailed, then I'd email back and just say, I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait. And then you typically what happens is you say, what can I bring? And they'll say, oh, don't bring anything or bring wine. And if someone says, don't bring anything, you still bring something. Never show up empty-handed, even if it's a hangout. If you're, go- if you're going over to watch the NFC Championship to watch the Minnesota Vikings get humiliated, that would be my team. You still bring a six-pack or whatever it is. And if you're going to a party, bring a bottle of wine. If they say, if it's a, like a sit down party and your host is really particular about wine and you don't want to like get in the middle of their plan, bring them a bottle of champagne that's in a box. That's like, it's a gift to them. It's something they can have later. It's not for to be had at the party. I, I think you always want to bring something. It doesn't have to be liquor. You can bring some flowers. You can bring, if you're going into the, if you're going to the country, and you pass a farm stand, get get whatever nice-looking fruit there is, something seasonal and colorful, something that says you're in the mood. You can even bring something really like tonic water or so, something useful that they might have not thought of. I even sometimes text people when I'm about to arrive. It's a little different in New York maybe than other places. I say, I'm, I'm, I'm at the your corner of your street. Do you need anything? Are you running low on anything already? And then I get them whatever, you know, tonic water or juice or whatever they need. How should you arrive fashionably late or should you arrive early or on time? I I think from the parties, when I have people over, I always want them to arrive earlier than they do. <laughs> you know, I think that's, a, I don't think you want to be right on the button, but usually you want to, you sense what sort of event it is. If, if the people are sitting down to dinner, you want to be there when they're asked, you're asked. If it's a, you know, a standing affair where there are going to be a lot of different people, you know, arriving staggered. I think you want to come, you know, at a reasonable time, partly because it's the best time to talk to the host. You know, if you get there after it's in full swing, host is going to have a lot on his mind or a lot on her mind. And you're not going to be able to, to have a little quality time together. And, you know, if you really want to get in the spirit, you know, bring a bottle of whiskey. And if you want to get even more in the spirit, I re- I think there's nothing more fun than a large format bottle of wine. They're not always as expensive as you think. It's, it really communicates fun and festiveness, festivity, and you can, that it will be appreciated, believe me. And I imagine don't put lampshades on your head if you go to a party. Yeah, no lampshades. And, you know, when it comes to leaving, like, (laughs) I mean, I've I've definitely been the last to leave. If you're not helping clean up, I think you want to get out of there at a reasonable time and not kind of hijack the sound system and start putting on depressing Smith songs or something. Right. Depeche mode. Um, <laughs> so I mean, is it, and follow up after the party? Do you, do you advocate for that? Absolutely. The next morning, I, I, I don't know why I always sort of feel depressed the morning after a party because it's, I'm usually hungover. I've got a ton of dishes to do. I'm mostly aware of the people who didn't show up, which is just a weird thing that happens. Not mostly. You just are aware of anything that went wrong or people you missed. I always text someone. And then if it's a more involved situation, you know, break out the stationery or postcard or something, write them a note in addition to the text or email, depending on the way you usually communicate and, and send them something, even send them, send them a bottle of something or take them out or offer to take them out again. I mean, people, it's nice to make offers to people to make overtures and to even offer to take someone out and let them know that you're taking them out ahead of time. Not just that you pick up the bill at the end, just say, thanks so much for the other night. Can I take you for a a glass of wine or a beer or whatever, whatever it is. All right. Let's talk about another awkward 
part of social life, which is greeting people. Like, cause it's, I don't know, for some reason it's gotten awkward in the past, I'd say 10 years. Like, <laughs> cause I think we're out of practice. Sure. Um, cause you know, there's those moments, okay, where you meet someone new, right? There's that. But then also the really awkward ones, like when you see someone you kind of know at the grocery store, but then like, should I say hello? Do I, what do I say? And then, oh my goodness. and then like, and then like you say hello and you're like, oh, goodbye. And then like, you see them again in the grocery store. Right. <laughs> in the checkout line. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these things, are, it's, these things make me laugh because they're so human and they're so recognizable. I mean, one reason that I wanted to do the book is, is to, to see what we're all struggling with or, or grappling with. And I think these things are really human. I mean, I think greetings are really important. It's if you meet someone in particular introductions, then you want to, I mean, that, you, a firm handshake, I mean, you don't want to shatter anyone's bones, but a firm handshake, eye contact, smile, say their name back to them, partly to help you remember it. But it's just, I, I, I don't understand how anyone cannot greet someone well. It's sort of setting the stage for the, your future of your relationship, whether that's professional or romantic or personal. It really, really says a lot about you. I mean, a disproportionate amount about you. As far as when you run into people, I often find myself saying, particularly if I'm not sure about their name or think they may not remember me if it was someone I met briefly and I, I see him at a cocktail party or an art opening and I want to reconnect, I say, you know, nice to see you. I'm David. We met wherever it was. And they'll either say, oh, right. Or of course I remember you. How could you do it? Well, whatever it is, you're, 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 it's, you're setting the stage for them to reintroduce themselves in, in case you can't remember their name. And also it's just a nice way to engage. As far as double kissing and triple kissing and all that, I mean, you're never going to solve that. I was just, I was just in Italy and I was leaning the wrong way. And, and who knows? Some people are hugging and some people are, uh, you, you just, you try to do the right thing and, uh, and, and follow someone else's lead if they lean in. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break for rewards from our sponsors. All right, when it comes to our wardrobe, your underwear is probably the last thing you think of, but an uncomfortable pair of underwear can just ruin your day. Lots of adjusting, not fun. That's where Saks underwear comes in. Saks is the only men's underwear that's actually designed with our anatomy in mind. When Saks first got started, they wondered why can't men's underwear be better? Their answer was the ballpark pouch. It does exactly what you think it does, keeps everything separate down there. Everything stays put, you can move around comfortably, and there's no friction. Comes in handy during these hot, humid summers we're having right now. Also, Saks uses breathable fabrics, super soft, moisture wicking, and repel BO. I got their kinetic boxer brief, super comfortable does exactly what it says the ballpark batch does great boxer for working out or when you're on a long hot hike saxon is offering listeners a great limited time deal shop from anywhere on their site and get five dollars off plus free shipping on your first purchase when you use promo code aom at checkout that's aom for art of manliness so order a few pairs of sacks now with this great offer at sax underwear that's s-a-x-x underwear.com sacks the two x's promo code aom at checkout for five dollars off plus free shipping again one more time sax underwear.com promo code aom also by Life Proof Backpacks. Whatever the action, wherever the destination, no matter the weather, Life Proof Backpacks keep you optimized, organized, prepared, and protected. Check them out at lifeproof.com slash manliness and receive 15% off your pack. Life Proof Backpacks are made with water-repellent Cordura fabric to shed rain during those summer afternoon showers. Special tech pockets are sealed against the elements and lined with soft fabric so phones and other small devices stay safe inside. Select backpacks also have an ingenious side-access laptop pocket, which comes in handy when you're going through airport security. And speaking of security, most Life Proof Backpacks are equipped with a super-secret stash pocket when you need to hide away a passport or some cash, and they're all outfitted with front 
front tie downs to hold your oversized stuff outside. With four sizes, there's a life proof backpack for any outing. Grab the Keto 18 liter for day trips, up your carrying capacity with the Squamish 20 liter. Go with the Goa 22 liter for tons of pockets or max out on space with the Squamish XL 32 liter. Get your life proof backpack now at a 15% discount by going to lifeproof.com slash manliness. Again, lifeproof.com slash manliness for a 15% discount. Lifeproof backpacks carry on. And now back to the show. Right. You got to go for it. I like how you made, you mentioned, I think we should make bring back the Cary Grant. How do you do when you meet mm. somebody? It's so, it's so classy and so simple and it's done. Right. I love it. I, my grandfather said that and that always struck me. And then I see Cary Grant, how do you do? And I just think, how do you do is a very nice, especially if you say it to someone who says it back to you, it, then you feel like you've you're complicit in some sort of traditional way of greeting. And I, I think that, 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 that's nice. How do you do? And also the, the, going back to that idea, when you, when you see people in public that you know, and you're like, Oh, should I say hello? Or do I pretend like I'm not seeing them? Like, I think one thing that's helped me is like, okay, they're probably thinking the same thing as I am. I'll just be the guy that just, just goes for it and says, Hey, what's going on? How are you? And just be, yeah, just take, just take charge, be the host. I think that's tr- probably true in almost every one of these things we've discussed that the other person is thinking the same thing as you. And so you just want to make, not make the first move, but be open about it and, and, and gracious. I think it's nice. I mean, I definitely, there are times when you run into someone on the street and, you know, you're in a rush, they're in a rush, you know them just well enough and they'll say hello, you say hello and you just kind of barely break stride and you kind of somehow both understand that you're not going to stop and talk and that's sort of sophisticated too that <laughs> that you under that they recognize the situation and that maybe it's not the time you're late for the subway or something but yeah i think it's nice to be a person who's in the event of a tie engages so we talked about the way you dress can be a form of etiquette and says a lot about you you also said that way you you way you present your domicile can also be a way to as, as a form of etiquette how so well, I don't know if it's etiquette so much as you will definitely be not judged, but assessed by the way your home is looks and how you live. And you're correct to be assessed that way. I mean, if in, in the case of if you bring a, you know, if it's a woman, I mean, of course, she's going to notice what type of sheets you have and towels and the art you have on your wall, or if you have the dreaded black leather couch. I mean, I think some of these things are also about growing up, you know, when you lived with three other guys in a quad in college, and you had the Reservoir Dogs poster or whatever it was at that time. Swingers. That's one thing. And that's, <laughs> and now you've kind of grown up out of that and and you have maybe a collection of books or you've bought a rug or you you know found some painting at a thrift store or whatever it is and i think it's nice to to live in a way not just for yourself but for the people who come back i mean there's nothing i don't know if everyone's experiences where if you come back with someone unexpectedly late at night and you're kind of running ahead of the woman trying to kind of clean up your apartment briefly and wondering if you've left it in a state of disrepute you know that's better to have it a little bit uh, tidier. And I think it also says something about how you, that you take yourself seriously in a way and that you consider yourself an adult. Yeah, this is kind of an interesting tangent about uh, decorations because like a lot of men don't mm. think about it too much, but you, you wrote about art for a lot. So you, you're into art. I'm like one of those guys, like I want something I'm interested in, but it's like, man, it's going to cost a lot of money. But is that necessarily the case? Can you decorate your house with some great looking stuff without you know breaking the bank? Absolutely. I think that's the best way to start, in fact. For a long time, even when I wrote about art, I, I would mostly 
acquire things just when I traveled that weren't even technically art. There could be maps or old Argentinian soccer programs that had really cool graphics or all sorts of things, photographs that weren't necessarily fine art, but that I liked. I mean, I would get them framed and put them up. And just like your wardrobe or anything else, it evolves over time. I think sometimes people are over they think too much about a, a very, the first thing they do. And so it intimidates them. I don't, I don't know anything about art. I can't do it, but what's on your wall is doesn't have to be art, but it can certainly be meaningful to you and it can say something about you. And then you learn more about it or you learn more about your own taste and you find something that does make sense. And I think that that's really a nice thing. And I think if you want to get more strategic about it and you, you've got a little bit of money to spend a lot of, a lot of, museums or art galleries will have kind of fundraisers and sometimes they have little silent auctions before them where you can bid on an addition. You know, instead of getting a painting or a unique work, you're getting a print or something that's part of a run of, let's say, 30 things, which usually costs much less. And that's a great opportunity to spend a few hundred dollars and maybe you get one every year. So at the Minnesota Institute of Art, they have this called the print and drawing fair and and something like that exists in many cities. And that you know, it's a step to do that for the first time, you know, and part of that is a little bit of the theme of this conversation is growing up and taking initiative. And, and I think it's a good thing. Go with your girlfriend or go with a friend who cares about that sort of thing. And, and you'd, you'd be surprised. You, you'll know what you like. Don't be afraid of the things you respond to. And then you build on that. I think so often we keep ourselves from doing something because we don't think we, oh, I don't know a lot about wine or I don't know enough about the opera or the theater to have an opinion. And you know how you get to have an opinion about jazz or classical music is to, uh, you know, expose yourself to it and, and immerse yourself in it. And not everything's going to be for you, but some things really will be. So many people discover passionate things in their lives as they, as they're 30 or even older than that, whether it's activities like, fly fishing or something they may thought never have thought they cared about like the opera. And I think you, you want to be open-minded to a lot more things than you think and let yourself change and evolve and grow. Yeah. One of the things that intimidates me about buying art is that, okay, I'm going to buy this thing and it's going to have to be up in my house forever. Right? <laughs> yeah. And so like, I never buy anything. It's like, I got to find that perfect thing. But like, you know, the way you described it, like you could just take out, rip out a page of a book that you think looks cool and frame it put it up Love it. and then you can replace it, you know, a couple of years if you want, or even a few months later. Well, if you've ever seen how or my approach to this is like, I have a ton of rugs on my floor and a ton of art on my wall. And the more you have, then the less importance each one has. So if you have one rug, then that better be a nice rug. But if you have like a dozen, then that's just sort of reads as like all the same. And if you have one piece of artwork on your wall, people are going to look at it. If you have a little grid of a few things, then it, it kind of lessens the blow. You know, and I think that, that I don't know if that helps everybody, but that's a good way to to think about it. And then and then you get a little less precious about it, you know, because of course the first time you do something, you think it's this immense decision. It's like if you just have one piece of furniture, right? And then you have a little bit, and it's not so, it's not it's not quite as striking. Yeah, it takes the pressure off for sure. I like right, that exactly. Idea. Um, all right, let's so let's get into etiquette and technology because it's something mm. our parents have to deal with, our grandparents. And I think a lot of the etiquette around technology is communication. Because again, communication, like manners is all about human relations. And now we we relate with other people through our technology. So, I mean, what's your take? Like with when you have a computer in your phone all in your pocket all the time, what's the the gentlemanly or the 
the generally <laughs> thing to do with that. Yeah, I mean, this is it. This is the world we live in. I think one one thing I try to keep in mind, is, uh, technology has changed our lives in many, many wonderful ways. I mean, I love texting. I love Instagram. I love a lot of this. I love having a camera in my pocket. I love all music and podcasts and all those things that they they provide us. But I think the danger is that we let them dictate what we're doing when we're in public. And I think that means that um, we've all seen a table of four people or two people on a date, and they're both looking at their phones. I mean, what's going on here? I, I mean, the best things in your life are going to happen face-to-face with someone. And if, you, especially as everyone's busy, it's harder to see your friends have kids or you're traveling. And when you finally get to be with your friend, keep the phones away. And as much as you can, I, I want to hear what my friend's been up to, you know, what they're excited about. I don't want to, and I don't even just want to see them showing me videos or something on their phone. I'd rather, I'd rather engage with them and that's going to lead to even more interesting things. So I try to keep the phone away. If you really have to use it, take it outside. Just take it away from where people are trying to have a good time. Nothing is more off-putting than somebody jabbering on their phone in a cafe or a bar. I mean, what, what's going on here? It's a, the Part of manners is thinking about other people other than yourself, of course. It's one of the first things we learn. And I, unfortunately, the the phone has really inverted that equation. So people think that wherever they are is their office, they can just, you know, they're FaceTiming in restaurants at a just bonkers loud level. I, I just keep, keep it away when you can, or if you really have to use it, take it away from other people. Does a man use emojis in it when he texts? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, for many years, I wish there were italics that would really have helped me say, uh, partly because they're so expressive and it's an, a discreet way of being expressive, I think. And when I realized that people were misunderstanding my texts, <laughs> that they didn't see the what I thought was a very bone dry humor, then I, I might have tossed in an emoji. But I generally think it's better to be the one, the second person in a text exchange to use an emoji, not the first. I'm always surprised when, when, when a you know, serious guy I know will use LOL or something. I'll just laugh. I think it's so funny. And I, it's sort of sweet because it means they're, they're, they don't care so much in a way. I personally don't use that, those types of formations, but I'll toss in an emoji if I know it's an emoji safe environment. Right. Be funny. I if wish, I, did, I, wish I didn't have to. <laughs> right. It'd be funny if Cormac McCarthy used LOL. Yeah. Would... <laughs> exactly. Oh okay. Well, so, okay. Emojis. Okay. Sometimes. Like, are there emojis that, like, you think, okay, those are off. No one should ever, no, no man, dignified man would ever use a certain emoji. Well, absolutely. I mean, I think we know what they are. I mean, if they're vile or vulgar or right. provocative or something that a 13 year old would use, I think it's generally nice to, if you have to just some sort of laugh your face or whatever it is, I mean, it's, it sounds absurd to say it, but you know when it's the right time to use it, you know, because right. it's just sort of saying that you're, you're sharing some sort of joke with someone you like, but I don't think you want to make a habit out of it. And you probably don't want to be the first one to toss it out there, especially if it's with someone you're, you're hoping to get to know better. Yeah, the text is tricky, and you wrote about this too. And I, I've noticed not only with my text, with my email, but like I'm using exclamation points all the time. And like the, for no reason, but it's just to show that like, I'm not, I'm not mad. I mean, basically the exclamation point is like, I am, I'm, Hey, I'm not mad. This is, a st- that's, that's perfectly said, Brett. That's so funny. I, I didn't use an exclamation point, not just in text, but in any writing I did for 
all the times I've in anything in magazines and newspapers, much less texts or emails. And then finally, a few years ago, I did start to use them. And now if I get a text from my mom that just says, okay, like, uh, let's meet for dinner. And it just says, okay, all in lowercase letters. I'm like, mom, what's going on? Why are you so sad or angry? Or let's put a exclamation point on the end of that to show some enthusiasm. I think it's, yeah, I think now we're kind of conditioned. I think it's going to be really effective. And I don't, just one will do, and it shows that you're kind of exactly like you said, not angry. I, that's yeah. that's perfectly put. Yeah, it's not. It's not just sure. It's sure, <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> you can't wait to be there. I'll be there on time, early. Right. In fact, right. It's so funny how that, that's, that's changed, and it's yeah. It's kind of I, I find it kind of annoying, but I feel like I have to do that so I don't. Right. People don't know I'm angry at them. Social media, like Instagram, like there's like you know that's wait, how's it old, old Instagram now? Ten years? Maybe not. Not even that five i don't know um but like there's like a whole etiquette around that now right like do you like when do you like something like what what what, i mean so what's your take on that on 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 using instagram i think it's really really i think it's evolving and that makes it complicated the way we share information is so different than it was even a few years ago so someone puts something that seems really important on instagram and you're sharing this with the whole world i'll often write them back by email to say, you know, congratulations if you're getting married, even though you, you know, you shared it on a picture of a ring on Instagram to thousands of people. I'd rather keep my communication private, but you're right. You feel this pressure to show enthusiasm. And I I don't know the answer. I really don't. I think everyone's going to have their own approach when sometimes we think people are showing off their lives. And then Usually that's just because they do something a little bit more than the way we do it or the way we're comfortable doing it. And I'm sure someone thinks that I do something a certain way and it, we, we don't quite know. I, I think that we're how much to be, to make our lives public and uh, the way we present ourselves. I mean, you're definitely presenting yourself that there's no way around that. It's like dressing in that regard. You can say, Oh, well, I just do my Instagram the way I do it. But that's like saying, I just wear what I wear. It doesn't mean anything, but of course it means something. Not making a choice is still a choice. So I think we're going to figure that way, that out. I mean, I, I don't personally post many pictures of myself. I have a you know following of people who I don't know. And that, so it's more of a, I, I travel a lot and write about that and, you write about tailoring and those sorts of things. So I try to share things based on my interests and that's makes sense for me and works for me. It's probably not what makes sense for other people. And, you know, I follow some friends who have feeds of their children that I'm very close to, but then other people I'm not following them. So it's strange the way we do that. And I think we're still, it's still evolving. It's evolved so much in 10 years. I mean, when you look back at what Instagram was when we started, I just signed up because I wanted to make what looked like an old Polaroid. (laughs) Remember they (laughs) with like a white border and oh my goodness and sepia toned or something. And now, uh, you know, it's evolving every, every few months. Yeah, I, th- I think we'll have etiquette books about Instagram here in a couple of years. Right, but they'd be outdated so quickly. I mean, one one thing to me that's nice is that it allows me to interact with people. People write me questions all the time, people I've never met, about places I've been, about you know suits and tailoring advice that they want. And that's a nice a nice thing to have, I think, this sort of seamlessness. I think you, it can, you can go overboard with that, but I usually make an effort to read and respond to all the messages I get from people who have questions about if they see I'm in a certain city and they're going to go there, they say, oh, where, where should I go? Or if they want some sort of advice about 
shoes or whatever it is. And I, I do, and Instagram messages, which literally have only been around God, not that long, has really changed the way we, we can communicate with people that we're, we don't know as well. And that, that can be a nice thing. Yeah. One thing I've noticed people do, yeah, I've noticed in the recent years, that people are getting more strategic about social media in general. I think before it was all of just, it was a broadcast model, like let the whole world you know, see what I'm doing. But now you're seeing people like they have private accounts and they only let certain people see certain images. If it's like close family, do that. And then they'll have maybe if they have a more forward facing presence online. Right. That's, that's probably for the best. Of course, then you get these people with so many accounts and you're like, can you just tell me which one to follow? You know, I think <laughs> we're overwhelmed with feeds. I know everybody, a lot of people criticize this. They want the, the feed that comes in order, the chronological feed, but I actually like how they stack it now. So the 12 or 15 people that I want to see the most, they're usually right at the top of my feed. But I mean, it's, it's amazing how much this is part of our lives now. I mean, my dad, who has the same name as me, he w- he never wanted to get on Instagram and he had a book coming out, a book that some people think I wrote, which I didn't called Paris and Winter. Uh, <laughs> and now he's, he, he's on Instagram all the time and he loves it. He's interacting with my friends. They're commenting to me about what they've seen that he's up to. It's, it's a wild new world. So one thing that can simplify this is going back in technological time and bringing back the handwritten note, which mm. you write about in the book as well. I believe that we respond to those things in a very strong way, kind of like beautiful ceramics. It's just a physical, something we we are almost hardwired to respond to. When someone sends me a note, I, I love it. I, I think that I speak for a lot of people when I say that. I, I like getting mail, like the handwritten mail, real mail. And my dad is actually wonderful about that sort of thing. I have a, envelopes that he's sent me from probably the last 30 years that are some of my favorite things that I have. And I think there's, I think it's nice when, also when you get something from somebody and you realize that they have personalized stationery, that feels like such a, a decision they made in their lives that I, I approve of. And the fact that it's a little bit expensive and not really that practical makes it even better. I like the fact that it isn't the easiest way to do something. And uh, so that's why in the book, we talked to Ted Harrington from Terrapin Stationers who makes engraved stationery. And he's, he's very funny and irreverent about that, but his family has been making that sort of thing for generations. And it's, it's really nice to have, to have that, to have some stationery. I believe in it, a thank you card. Once you have it, you find you use it more than you would have thought. And when, and if you, and you're speaking of being strategic and if you're, you know, invited to something that, you know, some sort of work event or something where you're trying to make an impression on someone to write back to them and thanking you for being included to whatever it was, a press event or something like that. I, I think people recognize it. Yeah, what, what I like about handwritten letters or snail mail is that it eliminates a lot of the weird, like unspoken, like rules of like online technology where mm. when you get something online, there's an expectation you got to get back to me like today or within a few hours. Like when I get a letter from somebody or I send a letter to somebody, like I know it's going to take, you know, a day or two to get there. They're going to get it and they might, and I'm okay, I'm okay if they don't get back to me for like a week or two or even like, they don't even get back to me. Like I'm okay with that. It just eliminates that, that weird social pressure we have with online communication. I, I love that. I, I love that sentiment, the kind of open-endedness of it, that it's, it doesn't require that, you know, immediate response. I think anything that says red, 
like a red notification is just diabolical. I don't want people to know exactly when I've read something. And to be honest, I don't want to know when they've read it because then you have some sort of, just like you said, expectation, but, but a letter kind of exists in its own space and time, right? When, once you've sent it out, you don't know when it arrives. You don't know when someone read it. And, and it, it's nice to just have it out in the world. So I, I think it's a wonderful thing. And I, I feel like we do, it is the antidote to that kind of sped up, hyper responsive groove we get into in our daily lives with that we don't even realize we get into. Like, yes, text response five minutes from now. I think sometimes that's really useful if you're about to meet somebody or whatever it is, but it also has us kind of dialed into our phones way, way too much. Way too much. All right. Are there any rules you came across uh, in your conversations, your interviews that they don't really fit in like a nice category, like it's etiquette for social media or etiquette for parties, but that the rules that sort of rules for life that you really liked? Well, I have some real issues about men's toes <laughs> and, and people showing their feet in public. I, I don't understand men who are just in flip-flops and serious in serious places so when when one person said that you shouldn't wear flip-flops where you can't swim i really like that as a i think that was a lesson that their father had taught taught him and i think i but the reason i say that is that it it indicates something more you know people propping their feet up and you know putting them on seats opposite themselves in when they're on the train or just in other places I'm, i'm very aware of feet for some reason i think one thing about this book was about being more tolerant in a lot of ways, but I'm still very sensitive to, to feet for whatever reason. People talked about spitting. So I, I should say I asked a handful of people, young men, middle-aged men, older men, about what they, questions and opinions they had about manners today, things that bothered them, questions they had, things they continue to do. You know, a lot of people asked about what, you know, etiquette with women that when is it outdated or when should you be opening doors or pulling out chairs? And that's a really tricky thing. And I know the world has changed in a lot of ways, but sometimes it is nice to still do those things. And I don't feel it shows that you're behind the times. I think we're all kind of struggling to balance the best of traditional manners that are worth bringing forward and when things need to evolve and to be a little bit less formal. So I'm, I'm all for opening doors and and definitely offering the best seat in the house to whomever you're with, even if it's a man. Yeah. Um, so David, it's been a great conversation. Where can people go to learn more about the book? Well, the best way still is the old-fashioned Amazon.com. I mean, that's the world we live in. A handful of places where I've done book events have signed copies of the book, like Sid Mashburn and Stag in a great store in Austin. And they're going to be some at J Press here in New York and at Three Lives Bookstore in New York. They'll have signed copies of the book. But the best way to get it, Amazon.com, you can see the book, see images from it. And it's just a part of our lives like everything else in the changing world. <laughs> yeah, Amazon. Yeah, I got a love-hate relationship with Amazon. But sure. that's another conversation. David Coggins, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Really appreciate it, Brett. My guest today was David Coggins. He's the author of the book, Men and Manners. It's available on amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. Check out his Instagram feed at David R. Coggins or on Twitter at David R. Coggins as well. Also check out our show notes at aom.is slash menandmanners where you can find links to resources where you can delve deeper into this topic.
Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com and enjoy the podcast. I appreciate it if you give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. It helps out a lot. As always, thank you for your continued support. Until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly. Hot off the press from Maybelline New York, it's new Lifter Plump, an intense plumping lip gloss formulated with chili pepper to deliver a heated sensation for an instant plumping effect that lasts. From eight sizzling shades like Blush Blaze, Red Flag, Hot Honey, Cocoa Zing, and more, an extra-large wand applicator transforms lips in one swipe. Learn more at Maybelline.com. For a limited time, get 10% off your Lifter Plump purchase on Amazon with code 10PLUMP.